The Democrats are in the race and they are off onto the second pair of two debates, each with a diverse pick of candidates leading the stage. On the first night, we'll see Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren front and center ready to increase their already high poll numbers. Combating them are a number of lesser known candidates trying to rise in the polls like John Delaney. I think we should be the party that keeps what's working and fixes what's broken. And Pete Buttigieg. Running because the decisions we make in the next three or four years are going to decide how the next 30 or 40 go. The following night, we'll see Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. They'll continue their dissension along with candidates like Andrew Yang. It is not left, it is not right, it is forward. And Julian Castro. Ours is a nation like no other. A place where great journeys can be made in a single generation. No matter who you are or where you come from, the path is always forward. We'll hear all of these candidates' opinions on the topics that affect America most next on this special edition of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is a special edition of the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jay Doherty Podcast. 301 on the dot, Wednesday, January, uh, July 31st, 2019. We're broadcasting live, and it's a special edition because, well, I'm just going to be talking about the debates. Now, there are two Democratic debates, both hosted by CNN in a pairing just like they were when they were hosted by NBC. Uh, Yesterday night, we saw a bunch of candidates face off, uh, and it was really interesting. I'm going to share my insights with you in just a second, but before I do that, I want to finish my previous thought, which is that uh, the Democrat, there's going to be another debate that is going to be hosted tonight, and we'll have live coverage of that as well, and then afterwards, I'm going to have live post analysis after about an hour after the debate ended, which will probably, the debate will probably end about uh, 9.30 CST, so I'll probably, uh, you know, compile my thoughts and notes to about 10.30, come back on the air at about 11, we'll talk about it for about, uh, but probably about 20, 30 minutes, and uh, that will be the coverage that we have today. So, uh, it's a long day for the podcast, long day for the Democrats, long day for basically politics and all the analysts that are working on it. So, Tuesday, July 30th, that is yesterday, we saw Montana Governor Steve Bullock face uh, face off against uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who also faced off against uh, John Delaney and John Hickenlooper, Amy, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Marion Williamson, all of which did very interestingly, to put it mildly. Uh, this lineup is not random whatsoever. Now, if you look at how the how CNN picked this, they say, uh, to qualify for the debates, candidates had to either achieve at least 1% support in uh, three polls from approved list of pollsters to receive campaign contributions from 65,000 unique donors, including 200 donors from 20 different states. The lineups for each night were announced on air during a live random draw for transparency around the event. There were uh, three distinct draws based on polling, one to divide up the ten bottom can- the bottom ten candidates, one to divide the middle six candidates, and one to divide the top four candidates. So, um, you know, I think, I, I, let me just, I, I don't believe that this is actually as random as they make it seem. Uh, this last sentence here uh, makes it really confusing for the general public to understand, and I think it's pretty easy for the people who actually make these decisions uh, to make them, because their goal is, well, and even though they're artful in it, it's not that 
it's not incredibly complex. Their goal is to get ratings because they want to have the ads, they want to have the exposure, they want to have their name brand put out there. Say, oh yeah, so I will watch that debate on CNN. And now this wording here. One to divide the top ten candidates, one to divide the middle six candidates, one to divide the top four candidates, and there were three distinct draws based on polling. Now, I don't know how that even makes sense. In fact, I don't even think it does grammatically. Uh, I, I could be wrong. Let me know. But um, Marianne Williamson uh, was on the end, and uh, you know John Delaney and other candidates were on the right. Now... This does not seem totally, uh, you know, I mean, it wouldn't, they wouldn't have Bernie Sanders on the far right or the far left. They want to have him in the center. And the pattern that I think is so blatantly obvious is that the in the first night, the popular candidates, the leading candidates, were progressive and the lesser-known candidates were more moderate. But then on the second night, we'll see the moderate candidates front and center, like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and then more progressive candidates uh, like, for example, Tosi Gabbard, uh, Jay Inslee, maybe Kirsten Gillibrand, and others, we'll see them take the stage to the right. So um, I, I, I would say personally, in terms of polling numbers um, and basically uh, the way that these ideologies have been split up upon the candidates for these debates, yesterday night was, or last night was, progressive night, tonight will be moderate night, and we'll see all of it go down. Now, last night, the ratings for this debate were pretty bad, actually, to be totally, uh, completely blatant. Uh, they, it drew around 8.7 million viewers, which is a lot, um, according to Nielsen's preliminary figures. Uh, but that was a 43% decrease on NBC's first debate, which had um, more than 15.3 million viewers, which and that was debate on uh, June 26th. So... Did not get good ratings. Um, the highest record set, uh, at least in modern political history, was in October of 2015 for a matchup on CNN that included Hillary Clinton and Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, that according to the New York Times, um, and I'm getting all this other information from um, Variety.com, CNN, the New York Times, and Washington Post, just flipping through the sources here. We'll have all the links at the website, j Um But... There was a big audience for prior debates, and this audience was smaller. And could it be just that it was on CNN, that it's a cable network? Yeah, I think that certainly uh, that certainly uh, stifles the ratings, but one could make the same argument for Fox. I mean, when Fox goes on the air, I'm sure, I'm positive, they will have, uh, you know, um, you know, the, the similar similar figures, maybe more, probably more. I mean, Fox is, whether you like it or not, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it is the network of America. Everyone watches Fox, or at least predominantly. Three times more people watch Fox than CNN on any given time. So you have to remember that is where Trump gets you know, that Trump voters go to consume their media. And, well, you might think, well, yeah, of course they would vote for Trump. It's basically the functional equivalent of a state-run media. Well, yeah, it is, but you have to face the reality. They make the choice to watch Fox out of any other uh, network. Now, uh, in terms of how I thought the um, Democrats actually did last night, to be honest, I thought it was really interesting to see how they did. I think um, what was kind of unexpected is how well 
Bernie Sanders did. He was super energetic when he came out, very feisty, and he stayed that way. He was very consistent. Um, he asked, uh, for example, he made basically, you know, the way he did it, and whether it was inadvertent or, uh, or not, he made him so, he made everyone else look like idiots, and that has a good effect, but also uh, bolsters him. So it's like pushing everyone down so you can stay where you are, and instead of going up and above and beyond like Pete Buttigieg normally does. So that that's his strategy. You know, he's a progressive guy. He's um, pretty. He's written a lot of bills. He has an impressive track record in the Senate, whether it's progressive or moderate or not. You know, whatever you believe, it, it is impressive, and it's long-running. Um, he's crazy, but he's smart. Um, and he had a lot of good lines. For example, when John Delaney uh, asked and criticized his health care plan, Sanders responded, just, you're wrong. And um, they went on in a big, feisty debate about uh, just the health care system uh, overall. Um, but... When John Delaney asked this, he must have known that, you know, that he, you know, he knew he was attacking someone. He knew that there was going to be some response. Now, I think that the crowd loved it when uh, Sanders said this and, after, and you know, said that, um, that, uh, that you're wrong. You know, that was his language. He, there's basically no other way to say it, and I think the way he interjected it there are very few times where you can use few words in politics. And when you want to use few words and you do it well, you shut someone down. And that's what happened to John Delaney after he asked this question. We can go down the road that Senator Sanders and Senator Warren want to take us. Bad policies like Medicare for all. Previously, he has called the idea political suicide that will just get President Trump reelected. What do you say to Congressman Delaney? You're wrong. And that's it. That's it. And that, that was really artful. That was very good of Sanders. Now, John Delaney, of course, comes back, and he's actually a viable option for the moderates if you don't want to vote for Joe Biden. And as I said before, the progressives, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, were in the center stage of this. John Delaney, a very um, lesser-known moderate candidate who's actually a pretty viable option on Election Day, is trying to replace the disloyal or the not as loyal base of Joe Biden. He's actually doing a pretty good job. So I think Democrats win when we run on real solutions, not impossible promises. When we run on things that are workable, not fairy tale economics. So that's that is if you don't know Sanders, if you don't know the Progressive Party, it, really the Democrats at all, you could understand that Sanders is rude or obnoxious, uh, but as shown on, his, on Sanders' social media profiles and polling numbers, he's a viable. He's just as a viable option on election day as Joe Biden in terms of numbers. Now, on paper, he's in, he's pretty insane. He has super far left policies, some of which I highly disagree with. Many of which I actually highly disagree with, just as much as I do with Trump. But, uh, but it's it's just blatantly obvious that. Uh, John Delaney is trying to scoop up voters that are more moderate but still Democrat. And there needs to be more moderate Democrats in this world, or at least vocal moderate Democrats, because there's a lot of assumption that goes on um, with people that I think, you know, the young people are just super far left, you know, anti-everything um, type deals. But no, I don't think that's that's an accurate representation. Just because, you know, AOC and Bernie Sanders, one old, one young, say that that's how everyone is doing. No, they're not qualified to judge the general uh, population's views and perspectives on American politics. It's just blatantly false. 
Now, the other guy who actually did really well was Steve Bullock. He came out of nowhere. He's currently the Montana governor. He served since 2013. And he made clear that he did not believe uh, whatsoever. He completely had total disbelief of the very liberal, super progressive views of Elizabeth Warren and Sanders. Again, no one knew who this guy was. He's a moderate and he's attacking these progressives from down under. That goes back to my philosophy of having progressives take the main stage and uh, moderates surround them. So the short version of uh, this, and basically it goes the same with John Delaney, if you don't like Biden, you should vote for Steve Bullock. He is moderate, he addresses the issues, and you know, to be honest, I'd love to see what he would um, respond if someone asked him about the climate change. He said a lot of times, including in this debate, that uh, you know, we need to focus on these, uh, on the uh, issues that affect us now and only now. So, what that means, I don't know. What is the time definition of now? Of course, uh, that is a very, he's not using the term now literally. I mean, you know, it's not like it was that in just that one second, but is the time span of now 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years? I mean, how long does now go? One person who does make that clear, who also won in this debate, was Pete Buttigieg. Now, his selling point has been, but is no longer, that he is young. He's also very smart, and he tries to take his young age uh, and replace it from a criticism and turn it into a positive when he says things like, I have more experience than, you know, the vice, the more uh, political experience than the president, vice president, and so on. He said that so many times. I have more government experience than the president of the United States, and that might be a low bar. Uh, but I've got more executive government experience than the vice president, and I have more military experience than anybody who has walked into that office on day one since George H.W. Bush. So that's what he says, right? Uh, that th He says that so many times, but it works. And for people who don't hear it, when I heard it the first time, I was like, wow, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. He's a very good option. And while he does play sometimes in the parts uh, identity politics, which can get very annoying, he knows what he's doing. He's very, very, very smart. He did a great interview with Chris Cuomo, one, the interview that I don't want to play, but he did a spectacular job in that and uh, knew what he was talking about. He hits his points, very articulate, very intelligent. I don't think he'll be the president, but I think he's doing very good. And I think he's doing exactly what he needs to do. Uh, so if he keeps doing it, he will stay ahead, but he doesn't need to go crazy and um, kind of distort his original mainstream moderate and traditionally Democrat policies. There, He's doing a good job, and I think he uh, should continue the w what he's doing so he can become a better uh, person and a better electable candidate. That's the thing. I, don't, I think Buttigieg is so smart. He's really good. He has more experience, just like he just cited, but... He, he would be good in the office, but I just don't think now is the time. I, th I think it, it, like, in certain ways I think it is, but at the same time, I don't think he is electable. I couldn't see him sitting at the Oval, in the Oval Office at the Resolute Desk. Let me know what you think. 312-625-8492. Maybe I'm totally off on this. You know who also did well in this debate? Donald Trump. Even though he didn't have to be there. He was watching, and he, everything was just going spectacularly for him. I don't think it'll be that way tonight, though, because we're going to see more moderate candidates. But there were so many super-left progressives that took the main stage uh, in this debate. Many of the serious candidates, except for Joe Biden, they're super-left progressives, uh, and they've proven that. And we'll see the more moderate candidates tonight, but... Last night, we saw these progressives like Sanders and Warren. They took the stage, and they destroyed 
all of the notions that Trump wants to uh, promote, right? That's what he wants to do. Like, for example, illegal immigration. At one time during the whole event, Warren literally came out and destroyed the very popular notion that illegal immigration is illegal. Now, that leaves you to ask, well, was Donald Trump watching? No one really knows, but this is what he said in an interview with C-SPAN. Although I'll be watching the debates tonight, you know, I, if I didn't, you'd say, I can't imagine, <laughs> you know, I would like to know who I'm going to be running against. Maybe you'll tell me after this interview, right? You tell but me. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would think the four or five top ones would seem to have a big edge. You have some people that shouldn't even be wasting time. But I would think the four or five top ones would be the ones that would be, uh, you know, certainly have the best chance of getting in. So, yeah, he's going to be watching, or at least that's what he says. Who knows? I mean, I think he will be. I don't think he has anything better to do, uh, you know, necessarily, especially at that time in the day. And I don't say that condescendingly. I'm just saying there really is nothing better for the president to do than keep up politically with his uh, opponents for the election in 2020. So those are the winners. You know who's a big loser and has, to be honest, been a big loser since the beginning of this debate? And when I say loser, I'm not. I'm saying in depth, like... The phraseology that I'm using is explicitly comparable to the definition. It's not like, oh yeah, that guy's such a loser. No, I'm saying that this guy is like, he's actually losing in the debates. Beto O'Rourke, like, he has, I, I don't, people are saying in the beginning he's going to be a good candidate. I just don't see the potential. I don't think, he's undoubtedly unelectable, in my opinion. He just needs to do better, and that's, that's, the plain and simple version of it. There were far too many times in the debate where he just could have simply interjected but chose not to. And then the times that he did interject, it was so rehearsed and just, it was, I mean, it was it was very obvious that it was completely constructed. He was like a robot just answering scripts. Uh, but I suppose that might be better to the alternative, which would be Beto being himself. And I say that in quotes. But I think the alternative being worse than being rehearsed is very, very scary. And even while you might disagree with Barack Obama, he could be very rehearsed, he could be very personable, and he was great at both of them, and one was not better than the other. Beto O'Rourke being rehearsed is terrible, and being himself is worse, because I think, at least politically, I'm not saying personally or anything, but... I think if you personally are not presidential, if you personally do not feel that you are presidential, then you shouldn't be running for president. And that goes the same way for Donald Trump. Same way. I'm not saying just for Beto, but I think Donald Trump on a whole different level is, you know, just look at his track record being a reality TV star. He certainly is not qualified to be the president, uh, but he's there right now, so I suppose Beto could get in. But I don't think, I think Trump drove so many people um, you know, simply, and he did it in ways that were very, well, it didn't seem that way, they were strategic, and, and, and he knew what he was doing since the beginning, Beto seems like he's kind of scatterbrained, he doesn't really know what he's doing, way too rehearsed, and to be honest, I don't know how long he will be in this race for, and I say that not lightly at all, I, um, yeah, I, I don't think Beto work, Beto, I, he, like, people were saying in the beginning, as I said before, He's going to be such a good candidate. You just have to watch. He's going to be the young, you know, candidate. He stood on tables and talked to people at bars. But, I like, name one thing, one good thing that Beto O'Rourke has done 
uh, or one good electable thing that Beto, Beto O'Rourke has done. Now, I'm probably being way too harsh on him, but I'm just saying, compared to everyone else, I think he, in the mainstream, or considered to be in the mainstream, Beto O'Rourke is the worst. You know who is not doing as well as I thought, but has the chance, has the potential to appeal to a certain demographic that would willingly embrace her, is Amy, Amy Klobuchar. Now, she was kind of forgotten about. If you remember, uh, she announced her um, run for president in the snowing, <laughs> the snowing alpines of Minnesota. No, I'm kidding. But um, that that is totally a joke. But uh, she she was an interesting candidate. She has completely, um, you know, so much potential. So much potential, but. Like, she can appeal to so many people. Like, for example, she has very traditional democratic policies in which uh, they are just basic, and, and people understand them. And to be honest, I, I don't mean to sound rude when I say this, but she has she is a classic American woman who, in her opening statement, bolstered her consistent election record, but to be honest, didn't do much else. But she she has kind of the um, the she could get the you know uh, the women vote so easily for someone who doesn't want to go super far left like Elizabeth Warren or insane like Marianne Williamson she's a very good happy medium and she just needs to appeal now the best part in my opinion of her was when the anchors asked her a question, but she didn't elaborate. And she had such a good chance to elaborate, but she she just didn't do it. In the last debate, she said, politicians who are not supporting Medicare for All simply lack the will to fight for it. You do not support Medicare for All. Is Senator Warren correct? Do you just not lack the will to fight for uh, it? That is incorrect. I just have a better way to do this. And that's it. That was her statement. I mean, she went on for a couple seconds saying that she has a better way to do it, and you can find out how she plans to do it on the website, on her website, but, I mean, she had so much potential, and I know it's hard when you're up on this stage, but I'm just saying, in the next debate, when she's on there, she, she has so much potential, and to be honest, I think she's one of the best candidates, she just doesn't let it show, and she needs to let it show, because that will prove to be a very good strategy in the future, and I hope they all take advantage of them and those strategies um, going forward. Now, I also want to take a second to point out the woman herself, Marion Williamson. Um, so I don't think she'll be in many debates going henceforth. Uh, and that basically is all I have to say about her. She had some good quotes. She's kind of insane. She was just on an interview with, uh, on CNN Live, actually, they're doing all this special coverage for their debates in New York outside, and she was outside, like, interviewing, uh, with the host, but she had some interesting quotes, for example, on the economy, she says, quote, I wonder why you're Democrats, you think there's something wrong with, uh, about using the instruments of government to help people, that's what government should do, on reparations, which is a very, very, uh, hot issue in terms of her existence. She says, we need to recognize when it comes to the economic gap uh, between black and whites in America, it does come from great injustice that has never been dealt with. Now, she she was actually one of the first candidates who suggest that reparations needed to exist. Uh, and she um, 
did, yeah, I mean, she was the first ones to recognize that I exist, and that actually brought it to the mainstream, but one of the most prominent issues that she brought up uh, was gun control, and now she actually only had 8 minutes and 53 seconds to speak, although, and while that doesn't seem like a, a lot, it, 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 it isn't a lot compared, you know, relative to the other candidates, but at the same time, uh, it was very unequally spread out in the uh, original debates on NBC. Andrew Yang got about 45 seconds to speak in a whole two-hour debate, uh, but the lowest, uh, the, the, the candidate with the lowest time was John Hickenlooper, who um, had 8 minutes and 37 seconds. So that's about 8 minutes more than uh, Andrew Yang had in the beginning, but Amy Klobuchar actually made a very good point, probably the best point that she's ever made, specifically about gun control and in relation to the NRA. The issue of gun safety, of course, is that the NRA has us in a chokehold. But so do the pharmaceutical companies, so do the health insurance companies, so do the fossil fuel companies, and so do the defense contractors. And none of this will change until we either pass a constitutional amendment or pass legislation that establishes public funding for federal campaigns. But for politicians, including my fellow candidates, who themselves have taken tens of thousands, and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars from these same corporate donors to think that they now have the moral authority to say, we're going to take them on, I, I don't think the Democratic Party should be surprised Spot that so on. many Americans believe yada, yada, yada. It is time for us to start over with people who have not taken uh, donations from any of these corporations. And Absolutely, Authority. That is over. We are going to establish public funding for federal campaigns. That's what we need to stand up to. We need to have a constitutional amendment. We need to have pu we need to have legislation Thank to do it. Thank and you. until we do it, it's just the same Thank old you. same. So way. that's 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 her version of it. Now I don't. I mean, sometimes I feel like you know she's okay. First of all, just to point out the obvious, I don't think she's presidential. I don't think she has any chance of being elected, and I don't think that she's going to um be in the next debate. Uh, I don't think she will. I don't think she'll make it. But she is actually pretty articulate, very fast. But it's kind of, she goes on tangents. And at some sometimes I feel like, well, why don't you just quit while you're ahead uh, in some cases? Because you'll do really well, do, do really well, and then dig yourself into a hole and not know how to get out of it. So you have to know, just like when you have compression and moderation like Pete Buttigieg and other very well put together, very articulate candidates, when to stop. And that's another problem that uh, Beto O'Rourke faces. Beto O'Rourke, uh, out of this whole uh, debate, had, let's see, three, four, five, six amount of speaking time out of the many candidates. Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, had the most time, 18 minutes, 11 seconds. Bernie Sanders has 17 minutes and 31 seconds. Buttigieg has 14 minutes and 9 seconds. Bullock had 10 minutes and 44 seconds. Klobuchar, 10 minutes and 44 seconds. O'Rourke, 10 minutes and 44 seconds. Delaney, 10.24. Ryan, 9.38. Williamson, 8.53. And Hickenlooper, 8.37. Now, this actually represents um, arguably a combination of medians in, in, and I know I'm probably overanalyzing this. In fact, I know I'm overanalyzing this. It represents the average, or at least from what I've gathered, the average of how many Twitter followers they have cross-referenced with how many um, donors and how much money they have raised. Now, I this, this probably has no, uh, let's just say, correlation or direct 
correlation to uh to to the lineup or to how much time they've gotten but i think it it's 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 important sorry it's important to point out uh that how these candidates and how their twitter followers are structured structured for example bernie sanders has 8.5 million followers that's more than any of the other candidates uh and over 20,000 tweets and he had Second to most time. Uh, now, Bernie Sanders has raised a lot of money, and but, uh, you know, on the other hand, I could be wrong. Elizabeth Warren has 2.8 million followers, uh, and she's raised far less money than Sanders, so I could be wrong. But I think there is a p- pattern that you could somewhat establish based off of, if you cross-reference the Twitter followers, how much money they've raised. But who knows? I could be totally off. Just wanted to point that out. We're about 30 minutes into our coverage, 29 minutes and 7 seconds, says my timer here. And uh, we're going to have to take a break, be in 30 minutes uh, right here. We're going to come back at 10 p.m. for the broadcast. We'll have this all put on a podcast through the logger, completely uploaded on the site, j-doherty.com, live coverage, j-doherty.com, slash live. You'll be able to see everything there, all the information you need. We'll be back at about 10 45, let's just say, we'll come on air, 10.45 p.m. Central Standard Time, 11.45 Eastern, we hope for you to be here, it's the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 95, special edition, the 2020 Democratic Debates. Welcome to the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 95. We're back for post-analysis of the second debate, the second Democratic debate. We're broadcasting live right now. See many people watching right now. On the Jay Doherty Podcast internet radio, if you have a common question, concern, or anything you want to talk about, j-doherty.com slash live is the number to, or no, sorry, is the place to go if you want to call... 312-625-8492. We are back. We're going to talk about everything in the second debate. So in my opinion, it's actually pretty simple in in this case with Democrats in this race. Um, There was a very blatant strategy that every Democrat used in last night's debate. Of course, everyone wants to go after the front runners, and uh, the best out of those two front runners, those being Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, is Joe Biden. So everyone went after Joe Biden. The best person who went after that, in my opinion, was Cory Booker. He was a total winner, the best debate he's ever had, and to be honest, now he's an actual candidate. I always thought he was so rehearsed, especially in the beginning of his time, uh, but now he has made it into the electable category. There are three levels for me uh, in this race, and probably in many races going forward, that I will judge every single candidate on. And you can ask me on my opinion when you call in, or I'll just say my opinion on each candidate. There are three levels in which I'm going to judge these candidates on. 
There is the non-existent level, which means basically these candidates, the, the candidate is so unpopular or just doesn't have the resources to actually be elected, which is number one, non-existent. Number two is votable, meaning they are like a legitimate candidate. You could vote for them, but I don't think they're going to be elected, you know, and when I say votable, of course you can vote for anyone, but I'm saying votable in the sense that a large majority of the population will vote for this person they will not succeed to the nomination. So that's votable. That's votable. Uh, and then electable is the other uh, final category. Now, I put at this moment, and of course all of this is subject to change, I put Cory Booker in the electable category. He's a New Jersey senator. He had a super good debate. He spoke quite passionately on uh, issues like criminal justice and immigration. Um, and he actually uh, focused his attack so heavily on... Uh, Joe Biden in a way that was really, um, in my opinion, artful. And he did a really, really good job of it. The other thing he did was articulate, uh, just as I did yesterday, and I think it was more so in the previous debate, not this one, how much Donald Trump is loving these Democratic debates where Democrats are pinning each other down and, and turning on each other and going so far left and so, you know, and some are so moderate. So, um... I think he did a really good job of articulating his points. Um, and one of the times is he basically pointed out that Donald Trump is watching this debate right now. And he's loving each moment of it because, well, uh, I mean, no one wants to see Democrats in their own party go against each other. So he said that um, Donald Trump is loving each moment of this debate. That the person who's enjoying this debate most right now is Donald Trump as we pit Democrats against each other while he is working right now to take away Americans' health care. There is a court case working through the system that's going to gut the Affordable Care Act and actually gut protections on pre-existing conditions. Just say that the person is in... So that's that's music to his ears. That is music to the uh, to the president's ears. Not not that uh, Biden, that uh, Booker recognizes it, but just the simple existence of their debate and the way they pin each other. Uh, you know, they pin everyone against each other. In fact, the biggest line, uh, especially in the beginning, was when Joe Biden was introduced. Of course, he's the front runner, so he gets introduced first, and then it goes Kamala Harris, and they're both in the center stage. Uh, and when they introduced each to each other. Uh, Joe Biden uh, was standing on the stage. Kamala Harris walking out uh, stage right. Joe Biden center stage. She walks out and this is what you hear. From Delaware, former Vice President Joe Biden. Now listen. So that's that's Biden. And now here's Kamala Harris and listen to exactly what Joe Biden says. All right, he's clapping. This is what he's he says, go easy on me, kid, and then um, goes on to, you know, exchange the societally implemented pleasantries that everyone is forced to take part in. So, I think when people, when, when Biden says, you know, go easy on me, and he's just a Democratic, arguably a Democratic legend, someone who's been in the party for a very long time, a vice president, former, uh, you know, congressman, he, he is arguably very the most experienced candidate on the uh, on the ballot um, in terms of you know numbers and years uh, serving um, or at least in terms of political experience and the the want to become president um, 
And I think the way that people are pinning each other against, you know, pinning everyone against each other, and also the way, the the, the fact that Biden has to say to Harris, go easy on me, um, I think that is a little bit uh, concerning to Democrats, especially the big uh, machines in the DNC and, and big, more uh, moderate Democrats who um, are kind of taking the stance, but... Uh, it turned out that Joe Biden didn't do as well as, he didn't do bad, but he didn't do good. I thought he had a decent debate performance, but who did do really bad was Kamala Harris, because everyone knows, as evidence in the previous debate, that um, she is really, really good at attacking people. She knows just how to hit her points, and then how to go on and attack and attack and attack. But then, she was hit so hard, because she knew that uh, everyone was going to go after her, that she did not know how to defend herself. She's a much better uh, targeter than she is a target. So, of course, Biden is going to come at her um, with uh, a lot of stuff, you know, attacking her attorney general records. But one person who you probably didn't think uh, was going to go after her was Tulsi Gabbard. Now, she's a congresswoman from Hawaii. She blew it out of the park in this debate. Very, very good. She did real damage to Kamala Harris. I think she now is a legitimate candidate. I don't think she's electable. I think she is votable. She's very knowledgeable, and she used, she implemented cleverly her impressive resume to talk about her service in the Iraq war and so many other things, but, um, even though when you watch this video, when you hear the audio I'm about to play, you can tell that, uh, Gabbard is reading her talking points, but nevertheless, they're very well written and, more importantly, well delivered. I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris. Now, this respond. is uh, Harris responding uh, to those attacks, which many of them were true. As the elected Attorney General of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. Very true. She did a great job. But the thing is, I don't know why Kamala Harris brought in... I mean, she she was not very articulate in her points. She knew the attacks were coming, but she didn't do such a good job, or at least as good of a job as she did when uh, she was the target, uh, or targeter. Now she is the target. 
And she said that I don't give fancy speeches on legislative bodies, but uh, Ms. Harris, you have been a United States Senator from California since 2017, and you're also a member of the Democratic Party in which all of the candidates standing beside you are also a part of. You also, you know, I mean, so to say that she's the outlier, that she's the one doing the work of the people as the elected Attorney General, the 32nd Attorney General of California, of course, that was true. I mean, she she had the Attorney General position before the United States Senate. Uh, she had she held that position from 2011 to 2017 and then realized, oh, wow, I can actually become a legitimate uh, candidate and I'm going to run for the Senate. And then now I'm just jumping into the presidency. So she went from 32nd Attorney General to uh well, actually, she started as the district attorney in San Francisco at 2004 to 2011, then the attorney general from 2011 to 2017, then the congressperson. Now she's running for president. She still is a senator, and she kind of made a mockery out of the United States Senate. Not that, uh, of course, that's going to be pinned against her or at least used against her, but she, she just... I mean, I don't know why you'd bring that in there. It's kind of a non sequitur, uh, even though it, well, it, it it brings in the same context uh, that, you know, Democrats want to hear, that the people want to hear. And as you heard, and you can watch the clip when in that exchange that I edited with Tulsi Gabbard and Kamala Harris, but they... Um, Tulsi Gabbard's comments were very, very, very scripted, uh, you could tell, but she did a really good job delivering on them, and uh, you could hear the, cl- the crowd really liked it because there was a lot of unfair criticism going to everyone uh, except for Harris, and now in this debate it was the chance for people to criticize uh to criticize Harris. Now, the other thing, the other pattern is basically now that this whole thing has happened and there's so many far left and moderates and just the popular, some like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, progressives that are popular, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, somewhat moderates in and I only say somewhat because of Kamala Harris, but Joe Biden's a classic moderate Democrat, not super left, and he, you know, believes, just like I do, that there is a way to uh, handle the healthcare system uh, in a way that allows the people, if they so choose, to have free healthcare, free insurance, and um, take away the the uh, scammings that are so clearly evident in uh, in, in insurance companies and in prescription companies, take away all of the money wasted and spent to corporate demagogues, and you can do that without complete, without wiping out everything and starting from scratch. As Michael Bennett says, you need to, uh, com- you know, keep what's working and fix what's broken, and I don't think, I think it is arguable that uh, that Michael Bennett, and I'm going to talk about him in a second. I want to talk about the general strategy before, but Michael Bennett is actually a, a, a legitimate candidate. I think he is votable. I think he will get, assuming he continues what he's been doing, he will get a um, decent portion of the votes, but he knows what he's doing. I would put him in the same bin as, for example, uh, John Delaney and Steve Bullock because they're more moderate Democrats, not as popular as Joe Biden, but they know what they're doing. They, they understand government. Uh, but before I get to that, I just want to point out this one big thing, and I know I'm kind of all over the place in this episode, but I just want to point out this one thing. Everyone now hates Barack Obama. Everyone on that stage, except for Joe Biden, and including Joe Biden at some times, in fact, hates Barack Obama. And Cory Booker even pointed that out to uh, Joe Biden when because he uses, he attacks, uh, sorry, uh, Biden attacks 
Obama or goes back and turns his back subtly on Obama's policies when it's politically convenient. And Cory Booker made the very good observation, one that the crowd agreed with in pointing that out. Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke uh, President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient right. and then dodge it when it's not. And the second thing, and this really irks me because I, I heard the vice president say that if you got a PhD, you can come right into this country. Well, that's playing into what the Republicans want to pit some immigrants against other immigrants. Some are from and some are from worthy countries. So uh, I had to bleep that out there that little uh, time because you said the asshole countries have, uh, you know, echoing what the president said. Uh, but he made a really good point uh, saying that he wanted to have it both ways. And, um, you know, it, it, it's. You know, Biden has taken the good things of the Obama legacy, implemented them uh, in a way that reflects a policy that, uh, you know, the, the, the presidency of what Obama was, but taken away the things that uh, Obama did worse. And the thing is, even if you don't like Barack Obama, the polling numbers st seem to be pretty in favor to him even after his post-presidency and during his post-presidency. So Barack Obama is actually somewhat of a popular guy. Uh, and a lot of there's a lot of Democrats that they don't want this super far left stuff, especially a lot of the uh, wealthy liberals like in uh, in in Silicon Valley and so forth. Um, they don't want this super far left, you know, uh, socialism. They want to have free markets and everything, but they also don't want to you know shove people out of the country and have ridiculous uh, you know lack of uh, regulation on things that affect climate change and so forth. So there is a happy medium. I don't think it is prominent, especially within the young generation, which is quite scary, but it, it still does exist. And that's where I think people like Cory Booker, uh, even though he attacked Biden, like Cory Booker, like Joe Biden, like Michael Bennett, like Steve Bullock, like John Delaney, they all come in. Uh, speaking of Michael Bennett, I do want to talk about him. Now, I bet you've never heard of him. He's a Democratic senator from Colorado. He stepped up because when he was attacked by the big guys, uh, he was attacked a lot by the big guys, actually, and he made lasting remarks on big issues, many of which circled back to. Um, in my opinion, I throw all of these, Bennett, Bullock, and Delaney, all three in the same basket. Uh, they all are moderate Democrats who want to focus on the problems right now. This is why I say that. The president's racist rhetoric should be enough grounds for everybody in this country to vote him out of office. That one thing alone should be enough. Second, this is the fourth debate that we have had and the t second time that we have been debating what people did 50 years ago with busing when our schools are as segregated today as they were 50 years ago. And when there's a group of kids in this country that don't get preschool through no fault of their own and another group does, equal is not equal. And we've got a group of K-12 schools that are good because families can spend a million bucks and you've got the Detroit public schools that are as segregated as they were, equal is not equal. And let me tell you something else, son. I believe you can draw a straight line from slavery through Jim Crow, through the banking and the redlining to the mass incarceration that we were talking about on this stage a few minutes ago. But you know what other line I can draw? 88% of the people in our prisons dropped out of high school. Let's fix our school system and maybe we can Senator fix 
the prison pipeline that we have. So he's kind of crazy. I, th I, I understand the argument that it comes there. I don't think he is exactly the most presidential person on the planet. And he almost seems kind of all over the place. But he knows what he's talking about. He wants to focus on the issues now. And I think the one part that showed up and that evidence that the most is in an argument that he, or kind of an argument with um, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, who's also running for president. They debated health care and uh, kind of made the same points, the same moderate versus progressive points that I was just talking about uh, in relation to uh, in relation to uh, you know healthcare and in the healthcare solution. So this is the healthcare argument that they both made. It was they did a good job, and I think this is where specifically Michael Bennett sh shone through. If we can't admit tonight what's in the plan, which is banning employer-based insurance, we're not going to be able to admit that when Donald Trump is accusing Democrats of doing that as well. We need to be honest about what's in this plan. It bans employer-based insurance and taxes the middle class to the tune of $30 trillion. Do you know how much that is? That is 70% of what the government will collect in taxes over the next 10 years. Thank we you, don't Senator. need to do that. Senator, Governor, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I, I do want to. I do want to. In this I don't understand why Democrats on this stage are fear mongering about universal health care. It makes no sense. Ask the American people. They are sick of what the pharmaceutical companies are doing to them. Ask them what they feel about the health insurance companies. They feel it's holding back their families because they can't get the coverage Senator. they need. They get a lot of no's. They don't get a lot of help from health insurance companies. Why are we not going to be the party that does something bold? that says we don't need to be dependent on private insurance. We can have a system that actually covers everyone. You know what? Donald Trump this won is a good this point. state of Michigan by saying he was going to disrupt the status quo. How about we be the party that's going to disrupt the status quo Thank for you. working people? Bill de Blasio made a spectacular point there, really. It was, it was very well delivered, but... I still agree with Michael Bennett on that issue specifically, uh, and I think if people were to take more of a, or, you know, de far left-leaning Democrats like AOC, uh, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, uh, <laughs> Ilhan Omar, or not Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and others, if you get where I'm going here, took a more, compo like, composed state in a composed way in terms of delivering these. And I'm not saying that it's all bad on their side. I'm just saying there are certain ways that they make it seem, they make their policy seem more radical than they actually are just because they feed off of that. And I don't think that is the best uh, tactic to use, especially in today's modern political climate. So, you know, the other person who we don't hear that much a lot uh, that much about is Kirsten Gillibrand. She needed to be better in this debate. In fact, uh, she had two good moments, but she definitely was scared to keep pressing, in part because of her uh, fellow candidates, but also she was kind of scared to keep pressing uh, because of the moderators. She brought up a really good, kind of unexpected point about women uh, to Joe Biden, one that he might have been trained to answer, uh, but... He was, she was intimidated by him and also kind of by the moderator. She almost seemed a little bit like a novice up there. Here's the first part of their argument. What did you mean when you said when a woman works outside the home, it's resulting in, quote, the deterioration of family? No, what And I, that we are avoiding, these are quotes. It was that is Kirsten Gillibrand, by the way. Oh. And that just causes concern for me because we know America's women are working. Four out of ten moms have to work. They are the primary or sole wage earners. They actually have to put food on the table. 
Eight out of 10 moms are working today. Most women have to work to provide for their kids. Many women want to be working to provide for their communities you, and Senator. to help people. Let so the Vice President either you don't now. believe you. it today or what did you mean when you said it In then? In the very beginning, my deceased wife worked, but we had children. My present wife has worked all the way through raising our children. The fact of the matter is, the situation is one that I don't know what's happened. I wrote the Violence Against Women Act, Lily Ledbetter. I was deeply involved in making sure there were the equal pay amendments. I was deeply involved in all these things. I came up with the It's On Us proposal to see to it that women were treated more decently on college campuses. You came to Syracuse University with me and said it was wonderful. I'm passionate about the concern making sure women are treated equally. I don't know what's happened except that you're now running for president. So I understand. There we Mr. go. Vice so president. that was one of the Mr. best deliveries that I've seen in, in uh, political history, especially for how on the spot that was. Now, he is obviously very uh, trained for this type of thing. I think he, he, you know, just rehearses this. And it's also really fun to be up there and just completely destroy a notion that you so inevitably believe is false that, especially when someone delivers upon it, uh, delivers it upon you about something that is false. But, um, of course, Jill Brand was trying to, you know, get in there, kind of say a couple words, and this is what she ended up saying. I respect you deeply. And but he, those words Biden smirks. are very specific. You said women working outside the home would lead to the deterioration of family. My grandmother worked outside the home. This so is where she my, backs my down. My mother worked outside the home. And, and Thank for, you, Senator Gillibrand. So, well, he has I, I, I either, bring Senator Harris either he no longer believes it. I mean, I just think he needs to... I never to. believed it. So, she she backed down. You know, she said, oh, I mean, I mean, I just think, like, I think you can attack him on a lot of things. Uh, busing is one of the good things that was totally overlooked. Kamala Harris did a great job on that, but attacking his record on women in the and and you know treating them unfairly, I don't think that is a legitimate thing to attack him on because uh, you mean <laughs> it's much easier to attack someone like Donald Trump and uh, many other people on that. But Joe Biden, I don't know, uh, that just plays into identity politics and actually makes Joe Brand look weak. Um, she was intimidated by her candidates. By the anchors, she backed down. She needs to do better because I think she's actually pretty smart. She just just needs to do better, and she needs to articulate her points um, in a better way. Kamala Harris, the other kind of loser in this debate, she didn't do uh, as well as she did before. Of course, she learned that it's much easier to be a targeter rather than a target. Um, and as I said before, the, Biden and others came at her about her record as attorney general, uh, you know, defending people when, or not defending people when she should have and the other way around. So, you know, I think the, the thing that threw Biden off initially and still maybe continues to throw Biden off, uh, and we saw this when it circled back to how, um, you know, when, when, uh, Harris came out, how she said, or how Biden said, go easy on me. Biden and Harris were friends. In fact, there was this one point in an interview where Biden was at a campaign stop, and she said, and a reporter asked, were you thrown off by the attacks on Kamala Harris? And she said, well, you know, I'm not thrown off by the words that she said. I'm just surprised who it came from, because he even said, I think, Kamala knows me, she knows my family, she just attacked me, and I was totally caught off guard, uh, you know, because of it. In fact, you can even tell, and this was overlooked heavily by the uh, media as well, when uh, Kamala Harris had that line, you know, Americans don't want food, they want f a food fight, they want food on their table, 
Joe Biden, you know, very uh, purposefully clapped outwards directly to her, in not a sarcastic way, but rather a more dignified kind of I'm on your side type way, and then she just throws in this record about busing. So who knows? I think it's really interesting, their relationship uh, or the, their uh, lack of relationship thereof going forward. Um, so I think that that's basically my general consensus of the debate. Uh, Michael Bennett, total 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 winner in this uh, case. Cory Booker, best out of the whole thing. Tulsi Gabbard, Gabbard, whatever. She did really well. Um, very knowledgeable, very sharp. Knew how to use her talking points. Kirsten Gillibrand needed to be better. Kamala Harris just needs to uh, be better at defending herself. I mean, she is a lawyer, so I think she can uh, do it some sort of way, and I think she needs to not be scared, because I don't think, I think she's not scared to go on the offense, but she's scared to go on the defense, because, probably because it's much harder to rehearse the defense, um, so she just has to be ready for that. The best line in the whole debate, in my opinion, was when Joe Biden said, This is not a Republican talking point. The Republicans are trying to kill Obamacare. Obamacare took care of 20 million people right off the bat, 100 million people with pre-existing conditions. And in fact, what we got is a public option that in fact would allow anybody to buy in. No one has to keep their private insurance. They can buy into this plan. And they can buy into it with a $1,000 deductible and never have to pay more than 8.5% of their income when they do it. And if they don't have any money, they'll get in free. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey. There we go. we're talking about here. The fact of very, the very is, good delivery the fact on of the that. matter is that there will be a deductible. It will be a deductible in their paycheck. Bernie acknowledges it. Bernie acknowledges it. Three for $30 trillion has to ultimately be paid. And I don't know what math you do in New York. I don't know what math you do anywhere in California, but I tell you, that's a lot of money, and there will be a deductible. The deductible will be out of your paycheck. There we go. That's what will be required. Very, very good job. Super great delivery, and I think that that just those, let's see, 58 seconds, put people uh, saying that Biden is too old to run for president, they put, them, they put that ideology to bed. Because I think he's a really good candidate. I hope, I, I would be fine if he wins. I was hesitant to say that in the beginning he's proven to be actually pretty good uh but i still think the best candidate in this race probably and i say this reluctantly and i'm this is very easy to change in my opinion uh but i think uh, pete Buttigieg, very very good uh i think andrew yang while he's a little radical i think he actually is pretty smart just kind of crazy i don't think he'll be elected and we'll see how everything goes forward, because I think this is a really interesting race full of a lot of diverse opinions, more diverse than ever, but also, in the same way, just opposite. One's moderate, one's progressive, and there's not really an in-between. Which is concerning, but that's the way it goes. You're listening to uh, Crash by Ixon on the Jade Doherty Podcast, episode number 95, part 2, Thursday, August 1st, 2019, 1.33 p.m. as we stream live. 312-625-8492 is the number if you want to call in. Thank you for listening. We will be back uh, for episode number 96, featuring an interview with music expert Michael Heidemann about the uh, ongoing music festivals here in Chicago and around the world. Thank you so much for listening to the Jade Doherty Podcast.